Hey yo, what's up everybody? This is the Firecracker, straight from Atlanta, Georgia. This is a little verse I put together for the Dopey Nation. I kept it short for Dave. Yo, man, this don't matter if you're sober or you're high. As long as you're in that, in that fight, man. We all feel you. We know where you've been. We've been there. We are there. We love you. Yeah, a little verse, you know what I'm saying, for the Dopey. Stay strong. Uh, yo. 16 right here, yo. Huh. This is the firecracker. I'm reporting to you live. Doesn't matter if you're sober or just sorta getting high. This is a message filled with hope and patience. I hope you make it. Being sober is amazing. Shout out to the dopey nation. Can't give out my whole location. Hashtag anonymous. I'm in the depths of 12 steps. Searching for the promises. Tomorrow is a vision. Why is it so blurry? I'ma find my way home. I'ma don't worry. To the ones still lost. Please take this as a warning. Got sober so I'm dry. But outside is still storming. Every relapse from a weed sack. I'm stepping like my knee steps. I pray that I get this. I forget this. I don't need that. I see that. I need to say goodbye to my party days. Mostly fun and partly pain. Word up to Artie Lang. Stay strong, Dave. Keep carrying the message. From New York to Georgia, you are such a fucking blessing. Can't forget Chris when I scribble down these doodles. We miss you, homie. R.I.P. Fucking toodles. Yeah. Firecracker. You know what I mean? A little bit of dope. Yeah. Dopey Nation. Uh, uh, yeah. So this episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Silver Lake, in Malibu, and created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his friend Evan and their friend Bob. Aloe is a place that takes care of an addict who is in trouble. If you have to kick heroin or benzos or coke or alcohol and you don't know where to go, I suggest you go to Aloe because Aloe is a place that treats addicts with respect. Their tagline is compassion, not control, because Bob and Evan had been to enough places that disrespected them and didn't take care of the suffering addict. They offer a comfortable detox. They offer dual diagnosis treatment. They offer amenities out the yin-yang, including surfing, sweat lodges, sound bath meditation, and equine therapy. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to Southern California to get help and you want to see Bob, go to Aloe. Support for Dopey comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I have a very good friend. You know him. His name is Sam. He loves to groom himself, but the problem is he uses an old pair of scissors. Sam has told me he's had problems with that nipping his testicles, and that is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nig or snag your nuts. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. And don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Get 20% off and free shipping with the code DOPEY. That's capital D-O-P-E-Y at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you, and so will the special someone in your life. They sent me a ton of beautiful stuff, creams, T-shirts, you know, trimmers, this and that. 
Sam's disgusting grooming practice is going to be a thing of the past thanks to Manscaped. Use the code DOPEY. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you in the Dopey Nation by supporting Dopey with the Dopey Patreon account. That's www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Give a buck, give two bucks, give more. When you give money to the Dopey Patreon account, it shows that you care about the show. It helps me make the show better. So support Dopey and give money there. If you want stickers, you Venmo me. If you want hats, you do the same thing. If you want shirts and sweatshirts, go to www.dopeypodcast.com. Dopeycom is coming up. There's going to be tons of merchandise there. Send in stories so you can be a speaker at Dopeycon. Unless you live in Appalachia, you may not have given much thought to what life is like there, apart from some vague images of banjos, forested mountains, and the moonshine tradition. If you are an afflicted member of the Dopey Nation, though, you may be curious to know that there are a lot of addicts like you in Appalachia. While there are strong communities of recovery throughout the region, greater help is sorely needed as more addicts die every day. A recent study by the Appalachian Regional Commission found that overdose deaths were 65% more common in Appalachia than elsewhere, and the death rate is particularly high among those between the ages of 25 and 44. Healing Appalachia works to make it easier for those seeking freedom from addiction to find a way out. It is the mission of Healing Appalachia, presented by Hope in the Hills, to organize an incredible day of music, recovery, speakers, food, and enjoyment in order to raise funds for organizations that support recovery across the Appalachian region. On September 28th, the second annual Healing Appalachia concert will be held in Lewisburg, West Virginia. Headlining the event will be Tyler Childers, a storytelling singer-songwriter who just released his new album at number one on the country charts, along with Brian Fallon of Gaslight Anthem, the Gibson Brothers, Arlo McKinley, and the Lonesome Sound in Sonora May. Perhaps most exciting for the Dopey Nation, though, is the chance to see Dave make his debut emceeing the entire event. It's true. If you want to get away for some great music while supporting a worthy Dopey cause, Come to Healing Appalachia on September 28th. All-day tickets are only $35 pre-show and $50 at the door. If you cannot make it to beautiful West Virginia for the event, please consider donating to Healing Appalachia's mission. Details are at HealingAppalachia.org, Healing Appalachia on Facebook, and at Healing Appalachia on Instagram. And welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and we're in Manhattan, and I have a very special guest in person. First time I've seen Aurora in two years. Here she is. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here in Manhattan at Allen's Place. When's the last time you think you were here? Probably 1997. 1997. Long time ago. And uh, I haven't seen Aurora in probably... 20 months. 20 months. And Aurora and I used to go to this. Uh, I was the reason that Aurora got sober. I was a, obviously, as you guys probably know, a terrible drug addict, and I needed to change my life, so I decided to get sober. And Aurora 
was a pretty bad drug addict too. And me and her would smoke weed every day and hang out and she would carouse and drink champagne and whatever. She went away. I got sober and she started calling me from California with, with romantic problems. And other problems. Yeah, lots of Work problems. problems. You got talking to the mic though. Friend problems. Yeah, a lot of problems. And, and what happened, Aurora? What was the story? Uh... So I was about to turn 40. Yes. And you were insane. You, Linda had caught you taking benzos, and you were maybe going to lose the the. I lost custody. You lost custody, and you were so crazy. I thought you were going to have to go to the psych unit. I couldn't even, like, barely speak to you. I was also on a little bit of a pill run, if you don't, if you don't remember. I was on a little bit of a pill run, and... I knew I had to stop taking the pills, so I threw them away, and I was just like, I was rocked. You know what I mean? Like, and I went to a meeting, and I was like, Wait, I'm not finished with my story. Oh, please. So, I so you were crazy. I lost out on this job, and I was about to turn forty, and I didn't have any relationship, and I didn't have any money, and I didn't have that fucking sweet trip to like Machu Picchu for my fortieth. And then I called a friend in L.A., and she said, do you want to come out here and work on this project? Um, Crazy friend. And it was, you know, kind of uh, someone that I said I wouldn't work with before. Again. Because she's a lunatic. Stop. She's not a lunatic. Does she listen to the show? No. Okay. Well, what if she listens to the show? Okay. Well, I feel fine with my opinion. Anyway, continue. No, that wouldn't be good. She's a, she's a dear friend. Well, then you don't think she's a lunatic, but I do. Right. Um, so I went to Los Angeles and then I got out there and then, you know, I didn't have a car. I, the situation, my housing situation was a fucking five-year-old futon on the floor. I can't sleep on a futon on the floor. I was like the princess and the pea. I was like, I slept on it for like one night. I like had a fucking Wait, where was the futon on the floor? At my friend Jenny's. Okay. So. Even crazier than this other person, by the way. Continue. That might be true. And... Anyway, I just like I was trying not to drink. I was I was really managing my drinking. I wasn't smoking any weed. I was only eating edibles. Wow, but that why? <laughs> I don't fucking know. It okay. makes no sense. Um, I was like, I'm not gonna. It was like a thing. Like a, I'm not gonna smoke pot. Yeah. I'm just gonna eat edibles. Yeah, as a thing. It was a thing. And it was after I had gotten clean. I mean, I was the big impetus. We were smoking weed like chimneys before you left. So you got clean, and then I went out there, and then quickly realized, like, what the fuck am I doing out here? I don't have a good plan. And you had started going to meetings, and were literally restored to sanity. Well, I remember... You were. I remember there was this place. Uh, I lived on uh, East Broadway and Clinton Street, and there was this place called uh, Heartland or some fucking restaurant that I loved. Do you remember that place? They made this roast chicken dish with mashed potatoes and a vegetable, and on special occasions, I would get this dish. Do you remember this? Yeah, it wasn't called Heartland. It's called something else. It's probably gone now. You and me walk there... To pick up takeout, like one of the last days of, of, of that period. And, uh, and we walked back, and I remember sitting on my terrace, chain smoking cigarettes, sitting on my terrace, freaking out, like just not well. You know what I mean? And I, I think, I think I, had gone, I had a couple days clean or like a day or something. And I remember just mer- like almost talking to myself, like a deranged person. You were deranged. And I remember I was listening to, uh, Donovan, Sunshine, Superman, and you walked to the bathroom and you did some little 
Austin Powers dance move where you like kicked your legs and spun around. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And it's like, I have this, I listen to that song from time to time, you know, and I always think of you walking away and, and somehow it was built into me being like, I got to change my life. I can't be around this crazy person. Me? No, I'm just kidding. I just have it built into my head though. That moment, I'm sure you don't remember that moment. It was like, it was just because I was like literally talking to myself and I was literally saying, well, they keep telling me that I'll be restored to sanity if I do what they tell me to do. So I'm going to do what they tell me to do and hope it works out. I remember that was the beginning. And I would say that to you. And you were like, yeah, tell me if it works out. And then I remember one night I was coming home from a meeting on, uh, I was on Norfolk Street, I think, or one, you know, whatever street that is over there. Uh, and I used to actually, it was the street, I only think of it like this because when I was using, you know, prior to that, when I, when I was really strung out on heroin, there was this Chinese guy, like, from China that lived on the street, and he had a sister who worked in the methadone clinic, and uh, he had a fucking, like, 30-gallon vat of methadone in his fridge, and he would sell me methadone, um, and he would draw it up in one of these turkey baster things with a with a hose attached to it, and he'd sell me methadone. And that was, like, the first place I ever smoked crack was with him on this street. And um, this Chinese guy, and he still lives there. And I ran into him. He's like, when I had just gotten clean, he's like, oh, if you ever have a problem, just take one of these. And he gives me, like, an 8-milligram Suboxone. Mm-hmm. And I had that until I gave it to Todd. Anyway, the point was I was clean, and I was walking home, uh, from a meeting and you called me from California. You were obsessed with this man who lives, I think in the Midwest. And, um, and you were like bugged out, you know, as we tend to get when we're unsure of a situation. And I was like, I don't know, Aurora, it sounds like maybe you should try to get clean too. Yes. You suggested, you did suggest to me that I try to get clean. I think you said for 90 days and I thought that's ridiculous. I'm a freelancer. Like I have to drink in order to get jobs. I think I suggested it, try it for 30 days. And I think you said 30. And you'll probably want to try it for 60 and then you'll probably want to try it for 90 because, you know, I, I, so anyway, you know, before I even get to the story that I want to tell, I just want to say this, that I find in my own recovery that the idea of using scares the shit out of me because everything that I've done since I used to use would end. You know what I mean? And like maybe, I mean, how long do you think if you started drinking or using or something, could you coast without everything falling apart? Oh my God, I have no idea. I think I could coast maybe a couple days because for me, uh, I think that work could stay intact and like bills could get paid, but Linda would find out like within a couple of days and that would like destroy everything. Yeah. You know, and I've built a nice, I mean like the point of the story is I've built a nice life in recovery and, uh, I don't want to risk it. And so today I, I might be able to go the rest of my life. I don't know. But I, I truly don't think that I can have the most fulfilling, successful, happy life using Right, you 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 could be a functional drug using alcoholic because you were. I might be able to. I think it would take all of my totally all of my sanity, all my self worth, all my self acceptance, all my self confidence again. You know, I think it would. I think it would ultimately destroy me. But I think it's interesting though that you 
like Aurora held jobs together. She grew her career doing coke and binging on alcohol and putting herself in weird situations. She never toppled the apple cart. And I, I bet it's because of uh, your family. Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know. And I don't mean that in a good way because Aurora came from a totally uh, addicted family. You know, when I look back on like, you know, in college, I love to take a lot of pills. I love to take like Vicodins and hydrocodones. And I think they're the same thing. I think they are the same yeah. thing. Percocets. I love to take all those pills my entire life, but I would only take... I would push it to a certain edge, you know? Like, I remember when I had dental work, I got 60 Percocet, and I spent, you know, a couple weeks taking all 60 Percocet. But then I knew I couldn't... I was always, you know, because my mom was a heroin addict, I always knew that opiates, like, were dangerous for me to tread. So I would never use heroin, but I would fuck around with pills to a certain point. But I wouldn't want to go overboard with them because I wouldn't, you know, I was afraid of becoming an IV drug user. But um, I forget what my point was, but yeah. That you could, that you, I mean, you had a certain tether to you that you did not let it get past a certain place because then it became like a gutturally terrifying situation that you couldn't live with. Right. Where for me, I think it was the opposite, that I wanted to get untethered, you know, because we grew up in basically the most opposite of situations, you know, and I wanted to get untethered to my incredibly safe middle-class Jewish roots, and you wanted to stay tethered to whatever shambles of roots you had left, you know? And I don't say that, like, lightly. You know what I mean? Aurora, like, her mother was a a heroin addict. Her father was a heroin addict and an alcoholic, and you were raised by your grandma, you know, in a a very safe place, but still, those roots were not the natural sort of course of things. Those were the outcome of your parents' crazy lives. Yeah. You know? Um, Anyway, the point of the story that I'm trying to tell is that Aurora's in town. She's very busy working. I'm obviously busy with a, diff- a bunch of different stuff, so we didn't get to see each other until today. And the show actually comes out today, which is exciting. That rarely happens. I should put out a live tweet to ask questions, but nobody really has any questions. Anyway, um, so I was like, let's go meet at the meeting that we used to go to, the meeting, the first meeting where I got sober. And it was also the meeting where, where I got sober. It was, a prefer- it was the place where I went to my first meeting. So when I came, I came back from Los Angeles, I was there for three months in 2015, and I was talking to Dave on the phone all the time, and I saw him restored to sanity. And like the literature talks about, like I think it's in the first step in the 12 and 12, you suggested to me that I might want to try to get sober. And it's something that never occurred to me until you suggested it. And I saw that it worked for you. And then I came back to New York and within, I'd been here for two days. And then I found myself, you know, at the bar with, you know, somebody I really had no business being with drinking more than I wanted to drink and feeling that like hopeless, Futility once again, and I called you and I was complaining. And you said, Why don't you just come to the meeting with me tomorrow? Why don't you just come to the meeting and check it out? And I did. And such a culty story, you know? It's like, I mean, I know that, like, one of the things I, I always. It didn't feel culty. No, but it. It didn't feel culty because in a lot of ways it's like... I think, I mean, those were powerful moments for me when, I mean, like, I'm like, oh, the literature. But, like, it was powerful for me when I would read that in the book and then be like, holy shit, like, that's my exact experience. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have the same... That annoyed me. Whenever I read literature and I felt like it mirrored me, it annoyed me in a way. I mean, it's insane. My mother was a drug addict. My father was a drug addict. My aunt 
Nancy had 31 years of sobriety in AA. She was a like a huge AA or in the middle of shit and would take me to meetings with her as a little kid. It never once crossed my mind until you suggested it that I would, <laughs> I, did, I didn't even remember what AA, I, I didn't even remember it was a thing. Right. I think that's funny. Um, I think like, I always hated the idea of the cultiness of it, like when you got there. But what I liked about it was like it was some place to go. You know what I mean? Like like as as a drug addict, like I like to hang out with other drug addicts and that rarely could happen because you're all fuck off drug addicts and you you rarely get it together, especially like how much depending on what you do. Like when I was doing heroin, when I was doing heroin, I had this weird thing where I would always befriend some old weird junkie and me and the old weird junkie would go out and cop like somebody I'd be friends with in the methadone clinic. And we would have a deal where every morning at nine in the morning, me and some weird old junkie would hang out and like we'd wind up watching 90210 or something <laughs> um, for forever. I can think of like four or five different weird old men that I saw every day. For like 90 days at a time until like they would get arrested or something. And like, it's just bizarre, you know? Um, I told you the story of the professor, right? Yeah. You know, that, like, that's like, I think the craziest story. I think I've told it on Dopey, um, where I had a drug dealer and, uh, and they called him Tony Baloney. You know, if you called his phone, like he didn't call, I think his name was Mike, but if you called his phone and he didn't answer the phone, it would go, you have reached Tony Baloney, leave a message or something, you know, something like that. And I was like, and you'd hear it all the time until he would pick up the phone. And it was just like the most remarkable thing when Mike would pick up the phone and I let Mike live at my house, you know, on 24th street, I let him live on the floor of my house and I would get. I don't know, five bags or 10 bags. I don't remember the deal. And, uh, and all the junkies would come to my apartment to cop, okay, uh, in the building over there. And one day, this old man comes to cop. And uh, I had all these old cameras, you know, that my cousin had given me, yeah. these metal body cameras. And uh, the old man goes, oh, these, these cameras, they look really nice. Uh, you, would you would you would you want to sell them to me? And uh, and and the old man was there trading pills to Mike for heroin. So I was like, well, you know, uh, I'd sell them to you or I'd trade them to you. Why don't Why don't you give me some pills for him? So he gave me like fucking two hundred clonopins or something for a bag of old Minolta metal body cameras. And who knew? Like it was it was junk in my closet in my mind, even though I had an idea that I wanted to take pictures too. But so I wound up trading him all these old seventies metal body cameras in this old bag for a bunch of clonopins and Xanax, I think. And and that's when I became friends with this man. And he, he was. It turned out he was a printmaking professor from Brooklyn College. He was in his sixties, and uh, he lived in Soho in a in a loft that he probably bought before lofts were worth anything. Mm-hmm. And his loft was fucked up. Like it was gigantic space, so big that it had a printmaking machine in it. You know, as big as from you know as big as uh, you know. 20 foot long printmaking machine. The place is fucking immense. And it was like a hoarder fucking place. Magazines piled up everywhere. The kitchen was like out of fucking the seventies were just like, like the soap looked dirty, just filthy fucking place. And they had a little bedroom that they built up with Japanese screens and the bed was on the floor surrounded by stacks of magazines. And they probably had like 
the last black and white television in New York. Or maybe they just watched channels that showed black and white movies because his wife was this old junkie hippie with long hair and she would sit there watching black and white movies and she was a sweetheart, like such a, a nice lady. And uh, But she was funny, like she would be sitting there and the fan would be going and her hair would get caught in the fan. <laughs> like, oh, my hair's caught in the fan. It was like, it was like a total thing. And me and this guy, the professor, would wander around lower Manhattan uh, to cop dope. Every morning I would go meet him at fucking six in the morning, six thirty in the morning, and me and him would wander around. It was like a movie. And like if he wasn't there, she'd be like, Oh, go down to the spring spring lounge or whatever that bar was, you know, on uh-huh. Spring Street and uh, and find him. You know, and I would find him and, and, and when I went to jail, I would come out of jail dope sick. I went into jail a couple times in central booking and I would come out of jail dope sick and they would always give me dope. You know, like they took care of me and, and then one time I went over there I go upstairs and there's a kid there and it turned out the kid went to my high school. He was a year older than me. He was actually friends with me. Was he their son? And he was their son. Oh. It was the craziest fucking thing. Anyway, and, and then I wound up moving to California. They died. Both of them died within years, you How know, a couple know they years. Died? Because I have a friend who was like best friends with this guy. And uh, it all just came out. But it was, it was really one of those small world situations. Wow. Anyway, so we went to this meeting this morning. And the idea was for me to triumphantly return to the place that I got sober where I was going to walk in and everyone's going to be, like, excited to see me. You know what I mean? Because it's four years. I, you know, we walk into this place. It's like a fucking ghost town. Nobody's there. I knew that. I didn't know that. I thought you knew that. I figured it would be robust with good-looking people who were happy to see me. No. That meeting is like died in the last two years. That meeting, a lot of people, a lot of regulars stopped attending it. They started going to another, the the competitor's meeting at 7.30 a.m. The super bougie meeting. Yeah, and this meeting, you know, has changed. It lost a lot of people. So we saw only a couple of regulars who were there when we got sober. Skeleton crew. And also, like, it was a terrible meeting. It was a, tra- it was a tradition meeting. It was super boring. The speaker, like, couldn't talk. He was like, um, uh, 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 uh. And he was like, he was like, when I first came to this fellowship, uh, 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 you know, I didn't know if I should be here. Uh, and, uh, 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 I decided that, uh, I didn't really have to be here. And it was like. Aurora had gotten up when he started qualifying. Aurora like went to the bathroom and she didn't come back. I was like, "What happened?" You know, I was on the phone with Delta. Wow, it was it was an experience. And um, in the end, though, it really made me think about the first days that I actually did get sober. You know, I just like they have these um they have uh, wooden plaques that have been in this room forever that say like halt and easy does it but do it and think you think know, think keep it simple and think 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 like just like being in that room and and seeing those like little wooden signs like all that kind of stuff like made the meeting for me like I I got in that room and I was just like there's nobody rooting for me here. I was like, where's, where's my people? Like, I just had this fantasy. Like, it's like with Katz's. Did I ever tell you my, my number one fantasy with Katz's? What? My number one fantasy is to stop working there, right, and then come back 
and people to be happy to see me. Like that's, my, and that was my fantasy for this group today. And it like totally didn't happen. I mean, there were a couple of people that there were, were a couple of people that were kind of happy to see me. But what it really reminded me of was, um, you know, the first meeting I went to the the very famous Australian or New Zealand painter New was Zealand. like, was like we would be very honored if you returned every day, and I was like, that's great. And then the second meeting I went to was a big book meeting, which I think there were Mondays, right? Mm-hmm. Monday. And um, and I and it's funny because like when you hear people share at meetings, they share about a big book meeting where they try to figure out which passage they're going to read. So, like, they're going to be smart when they read it or whatever. And, like, I stopped doing that a while ago. But I remember that first day that I was there, I did that. And I remember, like, in that stupid meeting, you have to read a thing and then say what it means to you. Do you remember that? Right. You read a paragraph and then you share. And I hate I don't like that format. Like, I'd rather if we just read it and everybody shares. But um, I remember sharing and being like, do I sound smart? Do I sound this? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, And I wound up leaving early because my father came to the meeting because at that point I didn't have custody. I couldn't see my daughter without my dad. And my dad was, I had my dad pick me up outside of that meeting on Sullivan street. And he was, he was there at uh, 820 or something. So at 820, I like, and I didn't want anyone in the room to see me getting picked up by my dad. You know what I mean? Like I was embarrassed. And, uh, but I remember I was hopeless. You know, I had nothing going for me. Mm-hmm. And I got into my dad's car and we drove out to Long Island. And here we are four years later. Linda and I had another kid. My, my career has blossomed. Dopey has blossomed. And it's because I started going to that meeting in the first place. It's, it's really amazing. You know, that's like the amazing part about... You know, the point of Dopey, it was two points. One was the stories were so ridiculously funny and crazy. And two, that you could have fun being sober. Those were the two points, you know. And, um, you know, I kind of ran out of stories. Like, Chris and I both ran out of stories kind of 100 episodes in or something. But, you know, I find that there are funny stories in recovery worth telling. You know, and I think we have a dopey story right here. This is going to be an episode that really kind of like tries to, you know, do a little clearinghouse of uh, of dopey business because there's been so many emails and voicemails that we haven't gotten to. So okay. here's uh, I think this is a dopey story. And, and forgive me, you guys, I, we get a lot and it's very hard to keep track of. I try to write back to everybody, you know, and I want to make this announcement. There's a woman who wrote me that wants me to take something out of some old episode, which I was very angry about, but I forgot who it is and what it was. So if you're still listening, write me again and I'll take the thing out of the episode. What do you mean? What are you talking about? There's some woman who sent in a voice, uh, an email that Chris and I read. And she wants you to take it out? She wants us to take it out. Why? Because she's, we didn't even say her fucking name. She said, because you can figure out who she is. But the point is that she asked me to take it out. So I should take it out. Here, this is a long, dopey story email. Would you like to read it? Yes. Okay, it's from Jake. Hey, Dave. Recently tweeted at you on Twitter about your 200th episode. Previously, I had direct messaged you through Twitter as well about a super quick rundown of my history, but I don't know if you're tech savvy enough to have seen that. I might not be. I've been thinking of these stories that I still can't remember and the ones I... Wait, what? I've been thinking of these stories that I still can remember and the ones that I can't remember. I'm sure you understand. But these great stories sometimes are forgotten until something sparks them. The time I got pulled over with hundreds of bars in my car, the time I had a half zip of weed and a half gram of dope with 20 needles in my car when getting pulled over as the drug dog sat in the cop car barking its head off. 
The time I decided to trade a stranger, an attractive lady, I couldn't say no, a shot from my stash for her K-pins that resulted in her falling out and getting her to come to right before we got off the exit for the hospital. There are just so many, and the craziest ones don't even come to mind. The shit we do when we have serious addiction problems, right? I could do many hilarious stories and many sad stories, but there's one that came to mind recently that I get a good laugh at. In this former life, I'd been working for a small pizza chain in some undisclosed Midwestern town. I had worked my way up to GM somehow in one of these stores at this point. Before this incident, I'd been more about vaping hash oil in the back and taking the occasional bar or two toward closing time. But by the time the incident began that I'm detailing, I had previously snorted dope and coke daily and had recently moved to IV. I couldn't go to work without my works. So here I am speedballing at work most days. But this particular day, I had only dope. This is the day I realized that hey, wait, doing... Stop, wait, hold on. This is a good story, by the way. This is the kind... This, if, you, if you have a story like this in your life, you should send it in. Anyway, continue, please. I'm it sorry. sounds like um, when I lived in Minneapolis, there was a place called Pizza Luce, and it sounds like this is the kind of... Like, Pizza Luce is where this shit would go <laughs> I down. wonder if this is a Pizza I did, Luce GM. I, I, it might be. Um, but this particular day, I only had dope. This is the day I realized that doing coke raised my tolerance for the dope in exponential amounts. So this day, where I was going only on dope, I did about half a gram at work of some great stuff over the course of three to four hours. I quickly noticed I had begun nodding. If you know anything about pizza places, you know the convection oven is burning hot and has a window on one side for the preparer to fix any issues or move any stuck pizzas to allow the pizzas to continue on their happy path to the end of the conveyor belt of the oven. There are sides of the oven, and outside these lines, the pizza can get jammed halfway through the oven on the conveyor belt. Long story short... I'm thinking it's Pizza Hut or Domino's, by the way, but continue. Long story short, we're halfway through Friday, the Friday night rush, the worst time for a pizza place, and I'm fucking nodding. I'm looking worse than the guys in the dopey logos, way worse. Thank <laughs> God the business owner wasn't here on this night. So I'm cutting these pizzas, doing quality insurance, and then organizing them on the warmers for pickup delivery. So I nearly fall asleep cutting a pizza, and I'm alarmed by my good friend that, hey, man, you got to get your shit together. There's like five pizzas in a jam in the middle of the oven by the window. So I get a surge of adrenaline and come to the rescue. It just sucks because the rescue was a failure. So I nodded way back out while sticking my arm into the window to unjam the backup. Ends up that I'd fallen asleep standing up trying to unjam the pizzas Uh. and woke up to that same friend with me against the counter where you cut pizzas. I look at him and say, what's up, buddy? Not a bad Friday, right? (laughs) He looks at me like I'm the most idiotic person ever born and tells me that things were horrible. Without explaining, he tells me to look at my forearm. I look down and there's this purplish black burn covered in dead skin about four inches long around my for- along my forearm. I had fallen asleep with my arm on an oven. My friend said he didn't know for how long it was, but he smelled a funky smell like burning <laughs> flesh and immediately saw the plight of my being. At this point... He said he would call the ambulance or take me to the ER. I said, no, dude, don't. Luckily, my friend was very capable of handling the business of the night. 
handling the business and the night went by okay without the owner hearing about it. I went back to the first aid kit to get some ointment and gauze to wrap the arm up, but then woke up two hours later at closing time with all the components of the first aid kit sprawled on the ground. I'd passed out again. My friend had done everything I was supposed to do that night, and I had accrued a horrible burn that still looks horrendous three years later. I should have learned something, right? Nope. After work, I ended up in my dealer's house, shot a load of coke and dope, then made my way home, all while running over a large embankment about a foot tall. I remember running over it and just laughing like a passing hilarious observation. I'd fucked up my front and rear bumper fairly well, but in that moment, who the fuck cares? Woke up in the morning and noticed that I'd probably have to pay at least half a grand to take care of what I did. But I got up and the first thing I did was go to my dealer. I started the whole cycle over again. I probably drove around for a month with those hanging bumpers before getting them fixed. The more I read this, the less entertaining it is and the more sad it is. Oh, well. I just laugh at the fact that any one of us could be so doped out we could literally burn ourselves for an indeterminate amount of time without even knowing because we feel so good. It speaks to how checked out we become and how at peace we are in these horrible states. But in reality, it's a false peace. It's a mirage. Minutes later, we come to and realize we've cooked our epidermis, not just rare, but well done. And people with good taste don't prefer well done. I agree. By the way, (laughs) happy Christmas. I'm grateful that you guys started the show and that you continue on even without Chris. I hope you and his family have found peace by now, and I think he helped plenty of people. One hopes he helped me once, one hopes he helped more than he hurt, and I think he definitely did. Keep your, doing your thing, Dave. You've done a great service with this podcast, not just for me, but for plenty of people out there. Stay strong, Dave, and Dopey Nation, and toodles. That's a great email, don't you think? I think it was a, I think it was a good story. That is a great dopey story, and it, and I, it reminds me of this thing, this weird sort of thing that uh, that happened. Uh, me and my family went on vacation, and we went uh, to the Catskills. And nowadays, and I've talked about this on the show, I have this. I mean, maybe I've always had them, but I have these allergies, these just terrible allergies. At the meeting today, I, I couldn't stop sneezing. I How many it. times did you get up to chew paper towel in the meeting? I didn't chew paper towel. I was blowing my nose. You were in the bathroom so many times. So were you. <laughs> it's like you were there half the time. I thought you were fucking snorting coke or something. You were in the bathroom. You, she also left the meeting while I shared. Just, <laughs> That's because Delta was calling fuck. again. I like I like raised my hand. Hi, my name is David. I'm an alcoholic. Aurora gets up and walks away. That's not true. I left two minutes into your three-minute share, and two minutes is all I fucking need to hear from you. Wow. <laughs> That's not nice. That's terrible. Anyway, she was, she was barely sitting in the meeting, too. But anyway, I was terribly allergic at the meeting, and I was terribly allergic on the trip. And, you know, it was night, and I'm sneezing. And also, when we go on vacation, uh, it's like we get a hotel room with two full beds and a crib. And Linda always gets one bed, and me and Nora get the other bed, and the baby obviously gets the crib. And Nora fucking sleeps in the middle of the bed. You know, All children sleep in the middle of the bed. She sleeps in the middle of the bed, and I like to roll back and forth in my lane, but I don't have a lane, and I'm allergic. So this kind of situation calls for Benadryl. So I went to the gas station, and, and the, I love Benadryl. Like, I just do. I love how I sleep on it. 
And you get these crazy, kind of scary Benadryl dreams. Like, I don't know if you know anything about Benadryl, but um, it's like, I love NyQuil and I love Benadryl. I don't take NyQuil unless I'm really sick. Benadryl, <laughs> if I... This does not sound sober. It's sober enough, okay? It's, it's, it's like, don't judge my program. Uh, in this situation, it was a... It was I, a I don't judge your program. Well, I, I don't tell you my judgments about your program Yes, you anymore. do. You do no, both. I don't. Well, that's smart. We, Dave and I used to get in so many fights. About his program. It's funny because Aurora calls me seeking advice from me too. You know, I mean, that's the best part that you judge me and you crave my my uh, my sanity. That's, right? Yeah, that's what a friendship is. Is that neither here nor there? That's anyway, what a friendship is. So I I also I only take half the dose of the Benadryl if you're curious, <laughs> and uh, so I take the Benadryl and I fall into my sleep, and um, in my dream it was like it was a very weird dream. I'm like in college, okay? And who do I see with me in college but Chris? Oh. And uh but he's thin, like skinnier than he was in real life. And he has a fucking nose ring <laughs> on the side of his nose like a hoop, okay? And in the dream, he hadn't died. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he was dead. How many times have you dreamt of Chris? I'd say 4 or 5, maybe more. Um That's that's incredible. Why? I think like in 19 years since my mom died, I've only dreamt of her like four or five times. I think I've dreamt... Same for my grandma. Like my, It's very rare that I dream about people that have died. You know what's really weird? And it's is, fucking... It's intense when I do. I, I've dreamt about my mother four or five times. Uh, I've dreamt about Todd. I always had the same dreams about Todd, which is like where I was trying to get drugs and I run into Todd and we're like trying to get drugs together and we always get them and like we can't use them. Like that's, I've had a million dreams like that with Todd since he's died. Before he died. Yeah. And then since he's died, I've had a few like that too. I had a, I had a dream about Todd and Chris on this trip. Um, you know, I never have dreams about my kids. Very rarely are my kids in my dreams. Hmm. Um, and I'm not a dream analyst, analyst, so I don't know what this stuff means. Anyway, in the dream with Chris, he hadn't died, and he's got the cockamamie nose ring, and he looks like he looked like kind of like a dick version of himself. Like he's thin with this nose ring, and his hair like looked good and stuff. Which Chris's hair rarely looked good. He like had a hard time with his hair. Um, <laughs> but uh, he comes up to me in the dream. He had chosen to stop doing dopey. Because he wanted to use in the dream. And he comes up to me and he's like, yeah, I've been listening to the show and, you know, I think I should come back on. (laughs) And I was like, and I kind of got pissed at him in the dream. And I was like, like, and then I was like, oh, I was like, he could probably be a good guest in the dream. I was thinking, you know what I mean? And, uh, and then I was like, but there's this split, you know, like we have this, we, cause in the dream we had had a fight where he decided not to do the show anymore because he wanted to get high. And, like, that was, like, a decision he made. Mm. And um, so when I woke up, I would say for a half a minute, I forgot that he had died. Like, for 30 seconds, I was like, oh, this is exciting. Chris is going to come do the show. I thought that for 30 seconds. Then I was like, wait a second. And, like, and it all came crashing down. Yeah. You know, just yeah. such a crazy thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that, that thing. You know, especially in regard to this, like dopey is so central to my life. And I know how central it is to a lot of you guys. 
So, like, how crazy is it, the idea of me being excited that Chris could be a good guest on Dopey? It's, like, so sad. You know what I mean? It's such a sad and crazy thing. It's also, like, all your fears, right, that he didn't want to do the show anymore. And then the dream, he'd quit the show. Right. When you, when you didn't know he was, like, that's what was going on with him was that he was using and you didn't realize he was using, but you felt this shift, this change, and you thought you were going to lose what you had with him on Dopey. And then you did. Right. Anyway, which leads me to uh, the great and all-powerful upcoming DopeyCon, which I don't think Aurora's going to be at. I might. I'm going to try. You're going to try to come? Yeah, if I can come, I'll come. So here's the quick update on DopeyCon. Mountainside, which is the rehab where Chris and I met, decided that they wanted to host DopeyCon, which is very cool. They're opening a facility, um, but they haven't announced it. Yet. So they don't want me to announce it. They don't want me to announce where it's going to be, the street address. So I'm going to tell you it's in Chelsea. It's near 18th Street. It's going to be October 12th. It's going to be roughly at 7 o'clock at night. It's going to be over. It's gonna, the doors will open around 7. The event will start around 8. Um, I think it's very cool that Mountainside decided to do it because like, it's very my- mystical. Gonna, is this going to be like a live stream like a live broadcast no it is not going to be a live broadcast what it's going to be is it's going to be dopey live you know it's going to be a lot of elements it's going to be dopey live but it's not going to be live it's not going to be live on the internet it's going to be live in person copy because i can't handle figuring out how to put it on the internet live i can handle getting it i I don't even know if there's anyone who can help dave technologically with streaming it live no, I don't want. I don't. No, I don't want any help. I don't. I don't want to deal with it. I. I, I don't even know how we're going to record it. I mean, that's going to be a whole issue in itself. So, what I see it as is it's going to be part dopey like this, mm-hmm. part uh, storytelling jam like, like the, the moth, moth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, a little bit of music, a little bit of question and answer. I was talking to one of the uh, Dopey Nation uh, administrators of the Facebook page today, Leah, and she was saying how she wants to come and share. So that was like sharing. I was like, I was like, how do we set up time sharing for DopeyCon or else these Dopey people are going to be, I don't know, but there's going to be some kind of sharing, you know? I think uh, DopeyCon is just as much for me as for you guys, as for everybody, maybe more for you guys or maybe not. If I come, can I be the timer? I'm a really good timer. No, you, you probably sit so indignantly and like wave your finger and go, time. That's the, I used to hate that fucking in you know where where I go to my meetings now there are no time chairs. Oh my god, what a nightmare. No time chairs, no raising your hand. You just talk. Oh god. It, it's a mess. Um but the only thing worse than no time chairs is the timer who says time time it's like I don't fuck say, you. You don't say anything. You just let you know. You just keep doing the chime. Or oh, whatever. you do the fucking chime. I know. I don't do the chime. I do the doorbell. Ding dong. And then it's like a minute later, you're like ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding ding. Exactly. It's like uh, I learned from an old timer in my home group. That's how he did it. Uh, and then the lunatic. I mean, the lunatic on the ding dong, and then the lunatic sharing. It's like who's gonna be fucking crazier? Me. The person who keeps Me. talking. I, I, my shares are so fucking, you know, I don't even get close to three minutes because I don't want to hear that fucking sound while I'm talking. I don't get close. I was like two two thirty today. Yeah, so I barely missed a thing. You didn't stay for two minutes. You probably got up after 45 seconds. Um, let's go to Adobe voicemail, shall we? Let's do it. This is from a 
stalwart member of the Dopey Nation community. Her name is Jessie, and she recently came to Manhattan, uh, and she, she contacted me, and I met her at the same smoothie place that we went to today. And uh, huh? That's your spot. Yeah, that is my new spot. It turns out they're doubling up my peanut butter, though. That's not good. We had a smoothie this morning, <laughs> and I got my regular uh, mango, banana, almond milk, spinach. What a cockamamie concoction! And too. peanut butter, or I would have almond butter, but Dave insisted I have peanut butter. I did not. I, looked, I did, no, I didn't shut up. I, I did not shut. Shush. I insi- They didn't have almond butter. You said, "Excuse me." Excuse me, do you have almond butter? Is that how I said yeah. it? And he yeah. said, huh? He went, excuse me, do you have... I was like, <laughs> I was like, leave the guy alone, please. He like, do you have almond butter? And he goes, no. You know, and it's like, ugh. I and love peanut Peanut butter is my favorite food. I don't have a problem with peanut butter. Tell, so tell the story. It's fine. So I look down and I'm like, is that like a scoop of ice cream in my smoothie? It was all peanut butter. The guy tells me they give Dave double, <laughs> double peanut butter. It was literally like probably five tablespoons worth of peanut butter. It was a huge like ice cream scoop of peanut butter. And I was like horrified and Dave got all embarrassed and it was like don't say anything I was like I'm gonna ask him to take some out he's like don't say anything just try it and it was it, good right no I, it just only tastes like peanut butter listen and it's probably like 3,000 calories I don't know what happened I had this whole you know I had I had I had befriended the people in this cat in this place and the, I guess the, I think really what happened was the first time I was there, I ordered my peanut butter, banana, almond milk smoothie, and I said, could you make it really peanut buttery, please? Okay? And it was perfect, and I, like, it was delicious because he fucking put the whole thing of peanut butter in there. And I go back there, and I, and I give him a tip, like, and I, and I leave. And then the next day I come back, and he makes it for me again, and I give him the tip, and I leave. And then... It's it, so I, the guy who makes me the smoothies is named Fernando, and then I found out the manager of the smoothie place is named Hussein, and uh, and Hussein says to Fernando one day, "Teach me how to make this smoothie," and Fernando did, but I wasn't listening to it or anything. But it turns out they were doubling up my peanut butter dosage, which Double is peanut butter. That's embarrassing. And then she, Hussein says to Aurora, he goes. This the customer likes the double peanut butter. And I was like, double peanut butter? I was like mortified. Anyway, this woman, Jesse, and I took a long walk from actually... Are you going to cut the peanut butter? What do you mean? Down from... I'm never going back there again. Oh, come I on. can't ask for less peanut butter. Are you Don't kidding? be such a pussy. Ask for less peanut Fuck butter. Fuck that. I'm going to go back to the old spot. I'm done with Fernando and Hussein. They're trying to fucking uh, poison me. You a good me. thing going with them. I know, but I don't want... I, I, don't know, I think I'm just going to keep it the way it is. I love the peanut butter. It's delicious. I, I was like, the other day I was walking and I was like. Such a glutton. I was like, wait, does peanut butter have cholesterol in it? Like what? maybe I'm in trouble. And I Google it. It doesn't even have any cholesterol. Oh, it doesn't. No. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. I don't know anything. Yeah. So anyway. Anyway, so this woman, Jessie, and I met at Union, at, uh, by West 4th Street. And she walked me up to Penn Station. We stopped at that place and I got my traditional Double peanut butter, mango, or whatever, almond milk and banana, banana concoction. And she gets, she's like, she, she's a very sweet girl. She, she's like in training to be, be a psychologist or, or, you know, social worker, MSW, whatever. And she's like, because she's a faithful dopey listener, she goes, I brought you some chocolate, okay? And I was like, cool. And she gives me a chocolate bar. 
and it's like the dark chocolate, but it's infused with hazelnut. Yeah. So I like, no, but I give her that look like, what the fuck? I don't, I don't like hazelnut in my chocolate. What? Well, I'm a purist. You know what I mean? I don't want, you know, Chris used to buy chocolate with the fruit in it. No, I don't like, I don't like fruit in it. I don't want fruit. I don't want mint. I don't want hazelnut. I don't want shit. Anyway, that night or the night after I got home and there was no dessert and I had forgotten that that chocolate bar was in my backpack and I'm like, oh, let me guess how this story ends. <laughs> You ate the chocolate bar. You were like, this is incredible with hazelnut. I love yeah, it. That's basically what happened, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's basically the story. Contempt prior to investigation. Yeah, that's basically the story. Yeah. Anyway, here's Jesse's. This is a pretty gnarly, dopey story. All right, let's hear it. All right. Hey, Dave. It's Jesse's girl um, from New Hampshire. And I am listening to episode 201, and you are talking about drug dreams. So I just have, like, a little fun fact for the dopey nation. Um, it's actually, like, not a fact, but I heard that um, when you have a drug dream and you're, you're not able to use in the dream, which that's, like, all of mine. I mean, not all of them. I've had some where I've been successful. But it, it's supposed to symbolize, like, where you're at your sobriety. So, like, if you're not able to use in your dream, um, it's supposed to mean that, like, you're, you're at a good spot with your sobriety. And um, obviously, if you're successful, it's supposed to be a sign that you're not being true to your sobriety or your impending relapse is coming so I don't know if that's true or not um I actually I've had both so I think I've had like one dream actually where I've been successful in using but I mean I've had like a million relapses so and I've had like a million dreams where like I wasn't successful in using which is really frustrating and it's like it was so satisfying in the dream where I did actually have success but anyway, I've been 18 months sober now, and um, life's going well. So I'm going to try to hit you with the Dolby, um, like from the hardcore chick side. Um, so I'm just like going to bring it to your real. So um, yeah, I just want to see if any other um, bad bitches out in the Dopey Nation can identify with this insane behavior so um my boyfriend passed away about three years ago and when I got kicked out of rehab he passed away went back to jail they PR'd me back to a treatment well to a sober living in Portland Maine and um I think I got like sent up there Friday I think by like Sunday I got kicked out and um, I met up with one of the girls that I'd been in sober living with. And I had my, like, sugar daddy's credit card number. So I was able to, like, go on the Motel 6 website and, like, pay for the room. And then, you know, I just went to the front desk. And then I was like, oh, my God, pays for the room. And they were just like, they didn't really give a fuck. So they just, whatever. They, they let me not show a credit card. So I was like, I have an ID, but obviously the name didn't match my card. I don't know. Anyway, it worked. So we were in the room, and then we posted up um, on Backpage. I don't know if you guys know what Backpage is. I think it, I don't think it exists anymore. I think it's uh, been shut down since, but it's pretty much like, you know, Craigslist for friggin' 
um, turning tricks, you know. So we posted up, and um, <laughs> we got this call from this guy. And um, I just think that this is hilarious. He was like, can you put on high heels and step on my face? Um, so, I mean, I, I, I don't know. And I have no idea what ended up happening. That, I didn't actually meet up with this guy. So this isn't something that we went through with. But I just thought that that was fucking pretty funny. Um, and then... So he, like, had me and this chick had, like, no money. We had, like, um, like I said, my sugar daddy's credit card number. So we couldn't really do much. So, um, you know, we got a call, and this guy was, like, gave us the address. And we were like, well, we don't have any money on us, so, like, we're going to take a cab to you. You're going to need to come out and pay for the cab, you know. And he was like, okay. So we, like, we do it. We get the cab. We go there. And then we, like, get to this house, and it's just, like, all – it's, like, in the middle of the night, you know. It's all dark and stuff. And, um, he, like, there was no one there. We're, like, knocking and knocking, and we're, like, texting him and calling him, texting him, and he, like, wasn't answering. We're, like, what the fuck are we going to do? Like, first of all, we don't have any money for this cat, for this cabbie, like, and we're, <laughs> we didn't know what to do. So we're, st- like, we ended up, like, being, like, um, okay, well, I guess he's not here. And we, like, are heading back to the hotel, and I'm, like, well, I have a credit card number I can give you. That's the only way I can pay you. And, um... It, that ended up being fine, but the guy was like, he ended up texting us back being like, this is a lesson for you girls, and it's, you know, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. I don't know what the fuck he was doing, but he totally fucked us over. So, I don't know, it was pretty pretty crazy that we were that desperate to get high. Um, and before, like, before I'd come up there, we... I had, um, so I got, like, released from jail and um, went straight to the sober living with my mom. And I, like, was like, oh, mom, I have to pick up my prescription um, at the drugstore. And so this is, like, <laughs> I, I had a prescription for Adderall. I'm, like, I'm going to a sober living, and I, and I just got kicked out for Adderall. So, like, I know I can't take it. But, like, of course, I have a prescription for 90, 30-milligram Adderall. And so I fill it, and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to take it today. And then I'll tell, when I go up there and I pop hot for Adderall, I'll just tell them that um, I took it when I was in jail. And I just will only use it today. I won't use it any other day, so I'll be good. You know, of course, I'm picking up 90, 30 milligrams. And so I end up, like, putting them, like, in my, like, you know, in up my shit, like, in my, like, jail purse or whatever, and they were they were pink tabs. I don't know if anyone's ever had the pink ones. They weren't orange. They were pink. So, um, yeah. And so they ended up, like, being, like, kind of, like, the, the pills ended up, ended up in, like, a powder because they, like, got wet, kind of. And so it was, like, this big bag of pink Adderall powder that we had been, like, fucking just, getting fucked up off of when we were, like, trying to go get high. We were trying to get money so we could get dope or whatever. And, you know, so we had this night, and we ended up doing a trick in the morning, pretty sad, out in the parking lot. Some guy gave me, like, $75 for a blowjob or something. Yeah, really disgusting. And um, we ended up getting on the Amtrak, which is the train, 
and taking the train down to Lawrence, uh, Mass, and, and grabbing. Well, no, no, it, it stopped in. I like sold the bag of Adderall powder, and then um, you know had enough money to get like you know a couple like I don't know we called them like a big brown, which is like a gram of heroin, and you know a couple small whites, a couple small um, half grams of coke. So yeah, um, it was pretty bad. I'm getting in a fight with this bitch because she was mad that I wouldn't share my drug. Like I did share my drugs with her, but she wanted more. And um, I was like, yo, I did the work. So <laughs> and there, I sold the Adderall. So you like be lucky that I'm giving you what I'm giving you. And um, yeah, I ended up like in the fucking homeless shelter. And my mom called. Like I called my mom, and she was like, I'm driving around Portland looking for you. Um, so I ended up going with her and ending up checking into the psych ward. Um, yeah. So that's my insane story. And um, you know, we got to talk about this shit so we can, you know, identify with each other and illustrate how crazy. Um, addict thinking is and the sad, sad places we will go to get high. Um, but luckily, I don't have to live like that anymore. And, you know, one day at a time, neither do you, Dopey Nation. So stay strong and toodles for Chris. Hey, there's a dopey story for you. Jesse's girl. Although, you know, she has some kind of page called Jesse's girl, but her name is Jesse. She's Jesse. She's not Jesse's girl. You know what I'm saying? Well, if her boyfriend who died, you know, rest in peace, if his name was Jesse, then she'd be Jesse's girl. She'd be Jesse's ex girl, whatever. But it's a crazy story, and she's a lovely person. You know, crazy story though. The only dreams that I have remembered in the last six months are either me using drugs and like using heroin mostly, which I've never used. The last dream I had about heroin was I was drinking it. It was like I <laughs> I like put powder heroin in a cup and it was like charcoal colored. I was drinking it. Um so I dream about using drugs all the time. You do still. Uh, th- those only dreams I've remembered in the last six months or I've murdered someone and I'm trying to cover it up and oftentimes like the body has been chopped up and I'm trying to figure out like where to hide the luggage that the chopped up pieces are in. So you kill these somebody. Are my, these are my dreams. Often. You, you, all, yeah, all the time. You often will murder somebody and put the cut up body in different pieces of suit luggage and then lose the luggage. This is a reoccurring dream. Yeah, but a lot of times I'm like part of a ring of people who've committed the murder. Maybe I didn't actually murder, but I'm involved. Do you know what, to cover it up. Do you know what my reoccurring dream is? Every using dream, too, I've ever had, I use and then I'm like, I'm not going to tell anybody about this and I'm not resetting my day count. Like my immediate well, according thoughts, to, I'm lying about this. According to Jesse, then your, your sobriety is total shit. Yeah, I think that's bullshit. The dream that I have is that I'm in a car going really fast and I'm high, okay? And in the dream, I always fall out of the car and the car keeps driving. And then I somehow wind up back in the car and like, but I'm off the road and I'm running somebody over. Like it's this reoccurring, like weird, losing control of a car dream. I have those all the time. I often have the impulse when I'm in the car to to roll out of the car while you're driving. Yeah, yeah. 
No, usually if I'm a passenger. Just to get out of the car. Yeah, just like that feeling. Like, what would it feel like if on the highway I just opened the door and hit the ground? That's a weird thing. You know, you know what I always think, literally? Whenever I'm driving in a car, and this is since I was a kid, I've had this thought that if we're, like I think about whenever I'm on the West Side Highway, I think about this thought that we're driving somewhere, we're going 60 miles an hour, and what if I have a crossbow or a bow and arrow, okay? And I lean out of the car and I shoot the arrow. Will we be able to catch up with the arrow where I can just reach out and grab the arrow speeding forward? That is really weird. Can that, I mean, like, at some point, wouldn't the speed, I mean, at first, yes, the arrow would get ahead because it would have your speed plus that speed. But at some point, wouldn't the, the, the top speed of the car catch up to the arrow where I could just grab it? I don't know. Uh, that's a question for the Dopey Nation. Okay, back to DopeyCon. Physics. DopeyCon is coming, and, um, and we need stories for DopeyCon because the storytelling portion of DopeyCon needs storytellers. And I understand there's a great deal of trepidation in the Dopey Nation to be a DopeyCon storyteller, which is understandable. Mm. Uh, but try. Send me some fucking stories, and if we don't use it for DopeyCon, we can play it on the show. Supposedly... For DopeyCon, so far, we have uh, Interventionist Ray, who you know. Yep. We have um, supposedly, uh, uh, what's his face? Fucking Bob Forrest said he's coming, maybe. Um, Chris's sister said nice. she's going to come and speak. Nice. Which could be very emotional. She can speak on Chris's behalf, uh, probably better than I can, which is very beautiful. Uh, my dad is going to say a few words. Nice. Um, I'm going to play a couple songs, I think. My buddy Ray, who's played on the show before, is going to play a couple songs too. And that is the bare bones so far. Plus wheeling, dealing, surprises, this and that, other speakers, questions and answers, uh, merchandise. There's some dude named Daniel who's going to set up a photo booth. Nice. You know, it's going to be a whole thing. You really should come. You're I'm really trying to come. You're really going to miss out if you don't come. Now, I, gotta, I think we got to play. Um, you gotta, when do you have to go? I have to go soon. I have to catch this flight. When do you have to leave? Uh, 15 minutes. Really? Aurora just said to me, uh, I drink too much coffee and I feel crazy. And I said, you always do. But then I just thought about it for a second. Aurora and I were walking back from the meeting and she's like, Dave, I need to go to a Starbucks to, to top off my drink. She's walking around with an empty Starbucks cup. It's so not the, empty. So I, had half a, I had half a cold brew left and all the ice had melted. So they'll refill it. With ice, not with coffee. So, I so, just want more ice. And she often complains about being overly caffeinated, but Aurora lives for free stuff so much <laughs> that, uh, that she needs to get the free stuff more than she dislikes feeling over-caffeinated. That's true. So we find a Starbucks, and she goes in, and she goes... No, I need more ice. And he starts putting more ice No, in. I didn't. I said very politely and sweetly, may I please have more ice? Would you mind putting some more ice? Do you remember what coffee? you said after that? Because I do. What? You said, and a splash of almond milk, please? Yes. Oh, my God. And now here she is bugging Wait. out, chomping at the bit on cold brew, bugged out. And she said, Dave, I don't think I talked enough about me. So let's hear it, Aurora. What's it like to be back in New York? Well. How's things? When I landed at JFK and I and I took the cab into town, yes. I saw the Manhattan skyline, yes. and the skyline said to me, oh, you think you can leave us? 
you can't leave me. And it was like, I was like, oh shit, I'm back in New York and I belong here was the feeling. And then I hit the fashion district where I happened to be staying and working. And I was like, fuck this. (laughs) I don't miss it at all. And that area of town is really disgusting. You're also dealing with a very, very, like, highfalutin, high-end, fucking stick-up-their-ass fucking shit, right? What do you mean? The fashion people. Uh, These hoity-toity fashionable types. Not really. I mean, I, just that part of town, that part of Manhattan is so shitty looking and smelling and just like... That's basically here. Yeah, it is close to here. This is where I grew up. This is, this is, this is my... And I, I realize, I've spent so roots. much time in this neighborhood, too. I've worked over the last you know, 10 years. I worked in this neighborhood many, many, many times. Uh, there's a lot of production companies that have offices here. But I do not miss this part of town. And I was not like, oh, God, it's so great to be back. I didn't have that feeling. Um, and I felt like yeah, I'm happy where I am. I'm glad I'm in L.A. now. Yeah, I fucking did not like L.A., but I was totally addicted to drugs in L.A. Every day of L.A. was like copping. How do I score? Like, And if I wasn't copping, it was like I was really sick. Mm. I spent a lot of time watching Lost in reruns. You know, like I remember we were packing up our apartment to to move to Vermont, uh, me and my ex-girlfriend. And, uh, and I had just gotten out of detox because all I wanted to do is my mother was dying and all I wanted to do was get off of methadone so I could leave Los Angeles because I didn't want to leave, like try to transfer clinics, you know, transfer methadone clinics from, from L.A. to Vermont. I was like, I don't want to do that. I need to get off. And I was on 150 milligrams of methadone and I needed to get off in order to come home to be uh, with my mom, you know, before she died. And... Um, which was like the greatest thing I ever, like one of the greatest things I ever did in my life was that, you know, being a parent is a close, you know, was maybe better, but it was, it's close. Anyway, um, I, I got all, the first time I kicked everything, methadone, heroin pills, I, I still was smoking weed. It was June 4th. I think it was 2008. Okay. And, um, and when did your mom die? She died, uh, in November of that year. Um, but and then I saw you for the first time right after that. Yeah, back to you loving Los Angeles. Sorry, I just got caught up in, in the last time I kicked in L.A. Terrible. Anyway, back to back to Los Angeles. You 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 miss Los Angeles. You like Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm ready to go back. I really yeah. I love New York. I love 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 New York. I could live the rest of my life here, but I don't want to be here anymore right now. Um, I like being in California. It's somewhere different. It's also not like you have your apartment now. You can't go home. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like... And I'm here for work. I'm not on vacation. So it wasn't like I got to like do all the things I like to do in New York, go all the places, see all the friends. I think it's like it's kind of like the meeting today. I wanted to go there and it be like the meeting it was three years ago. Yeah. Or like where I have a fantasy about going back to school and it's like when I was in school. It's like if I visit L.A., I would want to be able to go back to my old apartment and be there. So it's like when you come to New York, it's not like you're still here. You know, Even if you're on vacation, it's still like a little bit bittersweet because you don't go home. Mm-hmm. You don't have your day-to-day people. It's different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. But it has been good to be back and I do want to come back to to see more people and to have, you know, a bit of time here where I have, you know, free time. It's cool that you like LA. Um what else? You know, like what you really want to talk about yourself. So what else what else did you want to talk about? Oh, you know what I want to hear about is with your dad. 
Oh yeah, my dad. Oh yeah, my dad. So, so I called my dad when I got here, and you know, my dad is like. My dad is really con- has been really concerned for the last 20 months that I get rid of my New York apartment and Why? that I get all my shit out of it. Why? Because he's fucking insane. He's an insane addict alcoholic. And he's convinced that the two people that sublet from me are going to steal everything that I've left in the apartment. Oh. So I've left very little. There's furniture. It's all 10 years old. And some personal belongings. And he's convinced that they're going to fucking rob me and take everything. Because, you know, he's crazy. So years ago, my dad... Gave me this Medusa head statue. He's obsessed with it. He's like, certain, it's nice though. It's a cool it's beautiful. statue. Yeah. It's one of my favorite possessions. But he's you left it there. I left. Why it there. did you leave it there? Because when I left New York, I thought I was going to come back in a, like six months and get the rest of my shit if I decided to stay in LA. I just thought I'd be back a lot sooner, and it, and I haven't come back. I just thought I'd be back to move everything out of my apartment. I think it's interesting that you keep the apartment at all, considering how you don't want to be here. Uh, now that you've just admitted that Everybody I, I never When I, I went to the apartment yesterday I never fucking want to live in that apartment again I can never live there again But everybody I know who's lived in New York City For 20 plus years Is like do not get rid of that apartment I mean it's It's relatively inexpensive for Manhattan And it doesn't cost me anything To keep it right now As soon as it becomes inconvenient I'm going to get rid of it Right right that makes sense Anyway so t- talk about your dad and the Medusa head So my dad is like So my dad is convinced this Medusa head Is like my retirement plan That this Medusa head is like Some kind of like you know Ancient artifact by some famous artist And that it's going to be It's worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars You know, this is a Medusa head that he fucking hustled from some guy in a drug deal. Like, he traded drugs for this Medusa, like, was at this guy's house, saw the Medusa head, said he liked it, and traded drugs for it. It's like the other version of the professor story, except instead of the camera, it was the Medusa head. It's like complete insanity. So what did he trade for it? Do you have any idea? I can't, he told me the story when I was there at Christmas, and I can't remember if it was, like, weed or crack or whatever it was. Um... Or even maybe a couple beers, you know? Who knows? It was crazy. <laughs> and some, like, typical crack a fucking addict shit. And so, you know, over the years when my dad was drinking heavily, like, I would never pick up the phone if my dad was calling past noon, you know? If he was calling past noon, I knew he was hammered. So I'd only pick up the phone in the morning. So sometimes he would get crazy and call me drunk and be like, I want that fucking Medusa head Or like I'm gonna come to fucking New York <laughs> And I need to get that Medusa head Cause he wants to take it back He thinks it's worth something And he would do it And sometimes he'd get drunk And want to take it back Or like if I didn't pick up the phone He'd be like You're a fucking bitch And I want my Medusa head back <laughs> um, It's sad and funny It's sad and funny And you know Sometimes he'd call me And be like I'm gonna fucking kill you You better save this voicemail Cause they're gonna play it At my trial For your murder Like wow. those are Those were typical voicemails Love, Typical loving father Yeah So And he's, he's off He's off of everything now though Right Well he's dry he's But like, he's not drinking Or doing drugs No So I can talk to him now A lot more than I used to But He's obsessed with me getting the Medusa head and me getting the shit out of my apartment because he thinks the people that, you know, have lived there for two years are going to clean me out. 
And so when I'm, I'm here for work and I'm telling him I'm going to stop at the apartment and get the Medusa head and a couple more things. And, you know, he just starts yelling at me that I'm a fucking idiot for, like, hanging on to the apartment and, you know, for not that... I don't know what I'm doing, basically, and that people are going to steal from me because those are his fears, you know? And I know it's, like, coming from a place of love and caring, but it's fucking abusive at the end of the day. It, you know, it feels like shit, and it brings up a lot of old... But he, that's how he know, He doesn't know how to love you with anything besides abuse. Exactly. He doesn't but know what it, he's doing. I just hit a point on last week where I was like, I can't fucking take the abuse right now, and so... You know, I just, like, I started yelling back to him, like, look, I know what I'm doing. I know how to live my life. I don't need you to tell me how to do this, you know? And then he hung up on me, and I haven't talked to him since. So what are you going to do? Well, it's my birthday on Monday, so... This Monday's your birthday? Yeah. This is the first year you haven't given me, like, three weeks reminders before your birthday. Yeah, Labor Day, Monday's my birthday. Holy shit, I hope everyone in the Dopey Nation is ready to celebrate Aurora's birthday, because... Shit's going to get real on Monday. You can send your gifts, too. Right. Um, send other Medusa artifacts yeah. to uh, this old apartment in Manhattan. So I'm probably, I'm going to give him a call. I'll call him, I'll call him Sunday or Monday. For, so he knows to celebrate your birthday. No, just to make the peace. And a lot of times now when he, like these outbursts aren't as, as usual as they used to be when he was drinking. So a lot of times now we don't talk about it at all. We just, we don't mention it. And sometimes he says sorry. Um, and maybe I owe an apology too for like losing my cool with an insane person. You might um, as well. I mean, it's like your dad's not going to live forever, forever, right? No. No. And my dad's, con- you know, my dad is convinced that when he dies, he tries to give me everything he owns in his apartment because he's convinced when he dies, he's going to get robbed immediately by all the like, you know, hustlers in his neighborhood. But I told him like, don't worry, dad, you're not going to die suddenly. You're going to die a slow, painful death. Nice. <laughs> now, um, there's a couple, Aurora's got to go in a second. So there's a couple other things that we need to do. Um, one thing that I didn't say that Mountainside is very concerned with, which is, we don't want any storytellers who are in active addiction, okay? Now, what that means to me, and also I heard from one of the administrators uh, of the Dopey Nation Facebook group that there's a dude fucking this kid who used to write nasty things about me also who, who said he's going to bring dope to DopeyCon. Now, that's not a good idea. This is not like a rave. This is not a place where getting high is going to be good. It's not going to be fun to be at DopeyCon all high. It's going to be bad. And if you want to tell a story at DopeyCon, it's way better if you do it uh, from some sort of sober place. So I I, I say that to you. You know, we want people to speak about fucked up shit and recovery or addiction, but we don't want you to be high when you're doing it. We don't want you to really come if you're all fucked up because it's not going to be good, right? Yeah. I mean, is there a nicer way to say that? No, I think you made your point. All right. Um, I got this email from this guy, and, like, he's all, like, obsessed, or not obsessed, but annoyed that I haven't been reading emails. So I, I feel like we need to read the email. But, all right, I'll read it. He says, hi, Dave. I'm a big fan of the show. And then he puts in parentheses, first 75 episodes. Ooh. Well, Chris lived to 142 episodes, so it's like, but why put that in there, first 75 episodes? That just annoys me. Do you think he's only listened to them, or he just really liked those more? No, he's like, you were better in the beginning. Right. 
I actually heard about it from This American Life. I started listening from the beginning, thinking I would just check it out, and I have been hooked ever since. I have been listening from the start for a few months. You guys are hilarious, and it's hard to imagine. I think he's only in the first 75 episodes. And it's hard to imagine what the show is going to be like without Chris. Unfortunately, I will ultimately have to listen to the last episode of you and Chris. This will be a very sad day. A little about me. I'm a 36-year-old non-devout Jew. I am a veterinary surgeon and have the worst motherfucking ADD on the planet. I have been daily I've been on daily Vivans and or other type of amphetamines and wonder and amazement how I only ever sat one day in jail. My ADD is so bad that cocaine actually makes me focus, but with a really numb face. By the way, Chris's vet story was awesome and your knowledge of The pertinent Yiddish language is solid. Listening to the interactions between you and your dad are awesome. Your dad coming on for the first time was my favorite episode by far. No, see, he's definitely only in the first 75. I agree. Wait, what was the Yiddish word you called me earlier? A schnurrer. What is a schnurrer? A schnurrer is somebody who classically shows up uh, when they know dinner is being served because they want a free meal. (laughs) Aurora used to sit next to me in AA meetings and ask me to put a dollar in the fucking hat for her. And you would ask (laughs) me to put a dollar when you didn't have cash. Never. Anyway, that never happened. Anyway, I always had cash. I was like, you do always have cash. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's a gift of my sobriety. Anyway. Um, yeah, Aurora's classic schnur, but I love her, you know, I love, I love, and I love that you're here and it's really fun to have you in person on the show. Um, yeah, da, 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 da. your dad coming on for the first time was my favorite episode by far. It reminds me of talking to my mother. I, I live in a neighborhood immediately next to Kensington, which is by Philadelphia. I actually live in old Kensington. Not sure if you know about Kensington. We do. It's an open air job market. But anyway, let me read this. I think you guys talked about it in a few of the earlier episodes, but it's a large fucking open air drug market. I drive through it every day. I'm sure the stories out of there are amazing. I mean, I see a lot of them. While I am not afflicted in the sense of being a heroin user, I do enjoy my recreational drug habit of daily cannabis and often enough alcohol. Often enough alcohol. That's a weird phrase. So I guess in the strictest sense, I'm a functional drug addict. He says addict and it's not addict. Um, I'm a functional drug addict, like the place you go on the top of your house to do drugs. No, he's a functional drug addict who has dabbled in cocaine and pills but has never gone further. I am fucking addicted to sweets, though. I don't know how I am not 500 pounds by now. I can relate to that. Uh, I know I asked before, but it wasn't about a shirt. What's the easiest way to buy a shirt? Should I just buy it from the website? Yes, you should. Also, please continue to use the word goy. It is my favorite Yiddish word that I use a lot, oftentimes while shaming a waspy friend. Anyway, just wanted to drop a line and say hi, and that I'm a big fan. Take it easy and toodles for Chris. Cheers, Jay. So that was Jay. He wrote, somebody complained Big, I think Big Mike is his name. Big Rob, some big guy who I like on Instagram complained. Uh, he wanted certain guests, and then this dude chimed in. He's like, "Yeah, and they're not reading the emails either." So I, I read that for this guy. Um, I feel like you got to go. Yeah. I so gotta go. what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do an unprecedented move of wrapping the show up with Aurora and then continuing on after she's gone. What do you say? Uh, I don't think it's going to be as good or as fun, but go for it. Um, So, Aurora, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I want to do this again in person. You probably won't. Maybe Aurora will be a DopeyCon. What do you think? What are the odds? 
for, for, for gambling freaks out there, what are the odds? 50-50. 50-50. That sounds like 0%. Yeah. All right. So chances are we won't be there. But thank you for coming on. Do you want to say anything else? Um, love you, Dave. Uh, I love doing the show live with you or with you. And yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to be sober today. I'm grateful to have been here. And yeah. Aurora also had dental surgery and lost a sponsee. The end. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I really did. I had one day off in New York and I had dental surgery and I lost a sponsee. So, but you know what? Life is good. Life is good. All right, let's get you to the airport. Okay. Um, thanks to the Dopey Nation. And I want to say, minase toodles. All right, so Aurora's gone. Thank you, Aurora. Loved having Aurora in person. Thought that was a very, very cool thing. Uh, I love sitting with friends and recording the show. It's the closest version of doing it with Chris. I always thought Aurora would be great. I'd love to hear your opinion about Aurora's performance on Dopey. So write uh, a fucking email to uh, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. But before we go, I promised a clearinghouse of sorts of information, and I want to, like, come through. Uh, But before I play my first uh, second voicemail, does that make sense? My first extra voicemail, I want to talk about that Appalachian business, that thing that I read at the front of the show. It is a music festival in West Virginia called the Appalachian Healing Festival, And uh, there is a terrible opioid problem in West Virginia, but that's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the fact that I'm going to go down there for this thing. And Linda and my kids were supposed to come with me, but somehow logic prevailed and they decided that they weren't going to come. So I asked Sam and Sam was like, I'm not going to come. And then I asked my friend Justin. He was like, I'm not going to come. And then I thought about it. Like, who do I know that could come that doesn't have anything else going on? And Ray, the great Ray, popped into my head. And Ray is going to come with me um, to West Virginia. He's a musician. He's played a bunch of songs on the show. His most famous one is... This dopey, dopey podcast that's coming in your ears. You know that one. Anyway, he's going to be at DopeyCon also. So me and Ray are flying into Washington, and we're going to drive to West Virginia, which I'm really excited about. And then I'm going to emcee this festival. So the point is, if you guys are anywhere near West Virginia um, on September 28th, please come. I would love to see you guys there. Anyway, here is a voicemail from a woman named Christine, and um, I really like this one. Hey, Dave. Uh, I'm giving you a call because I'm listening to episode 34, and I am just, I'm driving down the road belly laughing, and I'm, I pull over because I have to record this and send it to you. This is the episode... I have not finished it, but this is the episode where Chris is explaining to you how he used to get in his car and drive around and drink. And he was in high school and he did this every day, every day. And like he's talking about having alcohol in the car, drinking and having to drive it off, like being so drunk, he's got to drive it off. And then, you know, I'm just sitting here laughing hysterically in my car because I'm from Minnesota and this is something like the day one after I got my driver's license that me and my friends did. It was called, we called it booze cruising. 
were like, hey, let's go for a booze cruise. And we lived in a city that was quite small. And we had friends that lived in our north and we had friends that lived in our south. And so we would load up these like super huge, like you could call it a big gulp, but we didn't have big gulps in where I lived. So we just like stopped at the gas station and got these huge cups and we would drink Bacardi light, the clear, I think Chris called it Bacardi dry, which is so funny. He was drinking the same thing we were and we would drink it with this like blue Mountain Dew. Like, I don't even think they make it anymore, but booze cruising. Yes, we did it. And the funniest part of the entire, of this whole story is like when you interject and you're like, like, wait a minute, like apparent, like you don't have to drive in Manhattan. So like this concept to you of like drinking and driving in your car is so foreign because you can be drunk and like you know, take a train or a bus or whatever it is that you do. I don't know. We don't have that here and I've never been to Manhattan, but (laughs) just like the part where Chris says like he's so drunk, he has to drive it off. Like that is a very real thing. And my God, now that I'm a grown adult, it sounds so awful and I have children and I just cannot imagine, um, my child doing that. Dear Lord. I just had to stop though. I literally pulled over, shut the car off because I, (laughs) I got a really good laugh out of this one. So I started listening, uh, to the show through this American life and I'm all caught up. I've been listening and finally I was like, you know what? I have got to go back. So I started from day one and now I'm on episode 34 and I can't wait to keep listening. And I just became a patron and patron. Is that the word? Patreon. Um, I am very excited anyways to help support what it is you're doing. Um, the show definitely, definitely keeps me going, gets me excited, makes me laugh, makes me tear up and cry. Um, I don't really have a lot of people to share my stories with. I've got some dopey stories and for the longest time I was quite embarrassed of them. So, um, I still am but I feel like I might be sharing some with you and the Dopey Nation soon because I feel less awkward about my dark lifestyle that I lived so thank you very much for that and stay strong stay strong Dopey Nation thanks Christine that's incredibly beautiful it's hard to imagine uh you know it's hard to fathom how many people are so connected uh, by the show, it means everything to me. It's very beautiful, but it's also very hard to internalize. So I'm going to read this email from this very long time listener. His name is John. He wrote, "Long time listener. I'm sure you remember. Uh, we've talked often through email, and a few of my emails have been read on the show. My Instagram is John is Ham. I'll have three years clean September 16th, and you and Chris were with me through it all." detoxing at home, the first 30-day struggle, and the miracle that's been the last three years of my life. I was homeless, living in Kensington, robbing stores, and shooting 20 to 30 bags of Philly dope a day. I figured I'd die out there with my wife and two-year-old daughter alone. 
Fast forward to now. I'm clean, back with my wife of 15 years. My daughter now five, and we had a second child who's almost two, and life is truly a blessing. When Chris passed, it hit hard. I questioned my own recovery. Like, if he couldn't do it, how could I? I really looked up to you guys. Your story was like my story, and you were doing the deal and having fun. Sadly, we lost Chris, and it still hurts, and I can't imagine what uh, that was like for you. Him and Todd in quick order. Ugh. You just have a great program and family support. Linda is amazing. Love it when she's on. You become Chris and she becomes you. It's hilarious. Just wanted to check in. Say the show's still awesome. Forget the haters. Friday night is still my favorite night of the week. Stay strong, everyone. And that's John. I love that email because uh, John is always on Instagram. John is ham. I love that. Hard as a motherfucker, I assume, is what ham means. But, uh... Just the fact that uh, he's been through it basically as long as I have. And, and a bunch of you guys that have listened since the beginning. I know Tina and Scott. I don't know if Scott Countryman still listen. Troy. I mean, one Troy died. The other Troy is still alive. Jed from Church and Other Drugs. If you guys are an old, old, old dopey listener from the very beginning send me an email at dopeypodcast at gmail.com uh it's just cool you know the new guys are fucking awesome too everybody who listens is great anybody that wants to go back and hear it from the beginning is awesome um it means a lot to me i know there's a bunch of voicemails bopping around in my email and we're going to get to hopefully we'll get to most of them in time i'm going to do one more from this guy zebulon i just like this guy i like this voicemail if you've sent in a good voicemail and I haven't played it, please remind me. If I haven't done something for you that I'm supposed to do, please remind me. Stickers are getting shipped out this week on Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, shit is in the mail. DopeyCon is coming. Here is Zebulon. What's up, Dave? What's up, Dopey Nation? This is Zebulon coming to you from the beautiful state of Vermont. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story about my first legal drink. So I turned 21 in rehab. It sucked. I came in the day before my birthday. So I was detoxing off of heroin and I went down to eat lunch and they fucking gave me a cake on detoxing and everyone is singing happy birthday. Oh, it was awful. Anyway, so I turned 21 in rehab and then I went straight to a sober house in Boca Raton, the Boca house right next to Delray Beach where Dave was at. Anyway, so I'm there for about... Four months. I'm staying sober. It's pretty good. I have a car. I have my little Saab, my 88 Saab from Vermont. Vermont plates. I drove down there to live, to stay there. And uh, so me and a few buddies from the sober house decided to go down to Miami to check it out. So we're in downtown Miami in this little mall arcade area right on the water, right on the marina. And we go up to the Hooters to get food. So we're all sitting there in the Hooters. And the lady, the beautiful woman, comes up to take our order. And one of the dudes, there's four of us, one of the dudes looks at her and says, she says, what would you guys like to drink? And he looks at her and says, I'll take a Heineken. Now, we're all sober at the time, so we all perk up, our eyes bug out, and we look at him, and we're like, uh, one by one, we say, me too, me too, me too. So we end up getting really drunk at a Hooters, and I'm 21, and that's my first legal drink. Now, it's not that crazy of a story, but on the way home, we're in maybe Pompano Beach. We get off the highway in Pompano, I believe, 
and I stop at a gas station to get gas. So when we stop at this gas station, we all go in to get stuff. I'm hanging out, pumping gas. And one by one, there's this kid. He's probably 12 or 13, this little black kid. And he comes up and he asks us, I believe he asks us if we could buy him beer, some stupid thing like that, or buy him cigarettes. And we're all like, nah, no, nah, man, you know, because he looks way, way young. Like I said, 12 or 13. Anyway, we leave the gas station. We get back in the car. We're about a mile down the road. And all of a sudden, we get pulled over by a sheriff's car. And then a bunch of police cars just swarm in, five or six of them. They all get out of the car. They're in riot gear. Sheriff fucking vests on, shotguns, fucking machine guns. And they talk to me. You know, they pull us out of the car. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. They're screaming, get out of the car. We all get out of the car. We're standing in line. They're... uh, they pat us down. They're like, where are you guys going? Where are you from? And I say, I'm from the Boca house. And right away, he's like, is there anything in my pocket so I'm going to get pricked with? No, 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 no. And I say, what is this about? And he says, I know you guys bought drugs from the dude at the convenience store. And he was talking about the 12 or 13-year-old kid. They've been, we've been watching him for a while. We know he sells drugs, and we know you guys bought some. So they proceed to search my car and I'm thinking, oh no, maybe I wasn't paying attention. Maybe that kid was selling drugs and one of my buddies bought something from him. My car is a wreck, garbage all over the floor and stuff. And they look through it, they tear it apart. It's pretty funny because they got to look through old McDonald's bags and all shit. They pat us all down, search us all. They don't find anything. Well, they end up fucking saying, have a good night and they let us go. So that's the story of my first night, the first legal drink I had. All right. Peace out, Dopey Nation. Bye. I love that story. Um, You know, you might be listening and say, that's not great. What do you love about that story? And I'll tell you what I love about that story. First thing I love, you know, heroin addict, 21 years old in detox on his birthday, you know, detoxing heroin on his birthday. Uh, The second thing I love is that so many of you guys are heroin addicts who have been to rehab and you know what it's like to kick in rehab and you know what it's like to turn up in some rehab and what it's like to go out with your friends and somebody gets a beer. It's just, we have this strange community that, uh, and that's why people love to be in the dopey nation because it's, it's a weird shared experience. Yeah. That story is not the grisliest of stories, but it also, I, I was in treatment in Florida. I lived in Vermont. My ex-girlfriend had a sob. So it all, it all just, I don't know. I like his name, Zebulon. I, I like that story. Um, now we're going to go, but before we go, I want to do the dopey review of the week. My dad loves reviews. Chris loved reviews way more than my dad. Chris would make all of his friends write reviews. Um, Anyway, dopey review of the week. Um, It says, alcoholics will also enjoy. I love listening to... This is from Nejimi Jack, and he says, with five stars, I love listening to Dopey. I started listening after I heard of Chris's death, which really guts me after, after listening to so many episodes of him. I'm a recovering alcoholic with a pretty significant drug history as well. But I find the episodes to be very funny. And in the midst of laughter, Dave and Chris say something that really resonates with me. Overall, extremely entertaining and therapeutic. Love you, Dave, and miss you, Chris. You've helped me a lot. Well, there it is. DopeyCon is coming October 12th. Tickets go on sale next week. It's going to be 5 bucks. It's going to be online. There's going to be a lot of cool, dopey stuff happening. So if you can go, I suggest you go. There's only 100 tickets. Obviously, it's going to be first come, first serve. 
Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. Want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good, so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Busted city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I 